Welcome to the Kinks and Beatles Daily Deep Dive. This is episode 246. We're talking about Young and Innocent Days by the Kinks. The song was released on October 10th, 1969 on the album Arthur or the Decline and Fall of the British Empire. This is the fourth song on side B and the final ballad of the album since the Kinks closed out this entire thing with a couple of up-tempo jams. The style of this song, though, is a bit of a departure for the band. So far, most of this album has been focused on straight rockers or guitar-driven ballads. But this tune is more of a Baroque pop arrangement. And since it follows the swinging good time of She's Bought a Hat like Princess Marina, the middle of the B-side is really where the Kinks, the rock band, take a break and give way to the Kinks, the all-around musical theater geniuses. Because not only are they diverging styles here, but they're doing so expertly. And it's and it is two fantastic examples of the types of style that they are. In his first book, Kink, uh, Dave Davies said that, I remember that the day we did the vocal parts on Young and Innocent Days, I had chills running up and down my spine and was brimming with emotion. It is such a gorgeous song. And he's not wrong. It is a beautiful song. And uh, we'll talk a little bit later about my thoughts on various aspects of the song, but it is a gorgeous piece of music. Recording and mixing for this track was done between May and August 1969, and it was one of a handful of songs that Ray seemed to be working on well into August. Um, you could speculate that this was even being considered as a single because he was taking uh, a meticulous amount of time mixing it down. And I imagine the multi-layered guitars, the keyboards, um, the backing vocals, that proved to be laborious task to mix because it's tough to have that much information on a tape and get it all heard without making it feel like too much. You know, there's a lot going on on this track. Um, even though it's a simple, quiet ballad track, there's a lot of notes happening. And um, to make sure that, that everybody hears that without it overwhelming the listener is no easy task in the mixing process. Um, as is usually the case when it comes to the kinks, all of the online chord or tab directories have this one wrong. And I mean, they have it mostly correct, but with some pretty glaring mistakes that go beyond simplifying a complex arrangement. And there is reason to simplify it. Um, but they, they go a step too far and just get some stuff wrong. In fact, there's one note in there. I don't know where they even came up with it, but I'm not going to talk anymore about that. Where they get it right is that the song is mostly in C major. The verse is basically 1, 6, 4, 2, or C major to A minor to F major to D minor. Um, and then when we get to Young and Innocent Days, which is as close to a refrain as we get, or as a, close to a chorus as we get, is this refrain of the title of the song, Young and Innocent Days. Um, that part's a simple 4, 5, 4, 1. They're just going F Young and innocent days. And I would have swore to you that um, they were using a suspension there, but I do think it's just 4541. Uh, and the way they've, <clears throat> excuse me, the way they've arranged the backing harmonies gives the illusion that they're um, using a suspended chord to resolve this to. Because you've got this F here resolving to the E, 4 to 1. And they're highlighting that, and it makes it gives the illusion of a uh, of a uh, suspension. But in fact, it's a it's what they call a plagal cadence, or the Amen chorus um, at the end of you know your church music. Amen. 
same thing. Young and innocent days. It's a plagal chorus or a plagal cadence, which kind of fits the atmosphere and everything of this song. The, the fact that he's using these kind of Baroque cadence pieces while he's doing this Baroque instrumental is pretty cool. Um, during the instrumental bridge, he randomly shifts to D major. So we're, we're doing all this stuff. There's your D minor, which is the two chord. And then for that instrumental bridge, he shifts to a, a D major chord, which is good um, because the song doesn't have a chorus. So you need to throw something a bit jarring in there to keep the ear engaged. Otherwise, it's just three verses of chords in the key of C, and that can get old even in a three-minute song. So he switches to this key of D major, which comes out of nowhere. It's like a, it's a five of five um, if you're trying to connect it to C, but it's a big jump because all of a sudden you've got that F sharp in there um, and the C sharp, but I don't know that we get any chords that have that in it. Um, and then other than that bridge, it's pretty straightforward and basic, which is what makes the counterpoint melodies work. Because if you start throwing in a bunch of borrowed chords and modulations, all of a sudden that guitar counterpoint is forced to make some crazy turns. And you can get away with that on piano, and you can get away with that in classical music in general. But when you're doing a rock thing, you, you've got all these like... Right? You're going to get these weird lines to make the counterpoint work that aren't going to sound good on their own. And the nice thing about the way they've arranged this is all these parts sound good on their own, even though it's counterpuntal and you've got some harmonic stuff going on in there and it's playing with the harpsichord. Um, each part sounds fine on its own, but you start getting into some weird chord changes and suddenly the melody lines have to do some gymnastics. And I think it's going to take away from the song. That also works better in a fast song than it would in something this contemplative and pretty. I really love the contrapuntal guitar parts that weave throughout the arrangement, but there are moments when the technique feels a little juvenile or sloppy. Um, on a slow waltz like this, I wish they'd taken the time to really clean it up because it does do a disservice to the quality of the track in general. And what I mean about the technique is that there are some places where every single note is picked when it would have been more fluid or interesting, or both, to slide between the notes or to hammer. Um, so like when they're doing a... Right, so if instead he was going... Right. Instead, if it was little hammers, then you have a little bit of dynamic because the hammers aren't as loud. Right. So it's not just one constant volume and articulation through the whole thing. And it just adds a little bit of of uh, fluidity to it instead of. Right. And then certain notes you can slide to. Um, things like that uh, would have been. uh I think an improvement and there are also a few moments where the two lines clash with each other and, the, the, and these moments could have easily been avoided um, but that said it's overall a very pleasant arrangement and it leans very heavily into that baroque pop sensibility uh, I also feel like the track would have been better on face-to-face -face. 
Because by 1969, when this uh, song came out, the harpsichord-driven arrangement had kind of fallen out of favor. But it was huge in 66 and 67, right? The Beatles were doing it. The Beach Boys were doing it. The Stones were doing it. The Kinks were doing it. Um, and this one just doesn't feel quite the same as most of the rest of this album. And you still could have gone with that Baroque style with these acoustic guitars, but possibly swapping out the harpsichord for the less abrasive piano. Um, playing the exact same lines would have made it feel a little bit more um, of its time of 1969. And it's weird to say of its time when I'm saying uh, that it's evoking a time only two or three years prior. But that's how fast rock and roll was moving in the late 60s. Um, so, yeah, that's just a little quibble. Also, it's the harpsichord in rock and roll is a little bit tough for me to stomach anyway, um, because if you consider the uh the way a harpsichord works right where you've got these strings inside that every time you you hit a key on the piano a little plectrum plucks the strings so it's essentially it's closer to an acoustic guitar than it is to a piano in the way that it's attacked and the tonality the timber of the uh the pitches there's also the matter of the picked bass. Personally, I almost always favor a finger-picked bass because it pulls out richer tones from the bass and gives much more presence to the instrument. And I like to feel the bass as much as I want to hear the individual notes. Um, and sometimes on fast songs, it just makes sense to use a pick. But on a slow waltz, I really wish John would have finger-picked the line and really let the notes ring out. With acoustic guitars and harpsichords all hanging around the higher end of the sound spectrum, this song needs more balance. And a more pronounced bass could have done just that. Think of McCartney's bass line on For No One, right? It's another harpsichord-driven waltz, but the bass is much more resonant and elongated to balance those higher frequencies. And he's also probably using a pick because I he does a... I, think on almost everything he's ever played but there's a way to play with a pick that still allows you to pull those lower overtones and i'm just not getting that from john dalton and i think you know instead of hearing this almost guitar sounding you know if we would have heard right it's just a subtle difference that um i think would have made the song stronger the mix stronger rather and i think um Probably would have made Ray's job a little bit easier because you don't have the bass guitar in the same frequency range as the acoustic guitars and the harpsichord. It's just a lot of mid-tone stuff, um, and it just needed something on the bottom. And I know it sounds like I'm picking on this song, and I want to reiterate that I really like this song. It's a beautiful song. The arrangement um, almost does it justice. It's like... It's one of those things you listen to and you think, if they would have just given this six more hours, maybe it would have ruined it. You know, sometimes you can start, when you're in that process, you can start feeling the ideas getting stale or cliche or whatever, you know, or just not any fun or losing the energy. And that, that fifth or sixth hour might have been overdoing it and the whole thing could crash. But... Um, they have the bones here of a really great arrangement that I just think you tweak a little thing here, you mess with this in the mix, you bring, you know, this instrument to over here. The little things I think would have um, really done the song uh, more, a better service. Had the same care been given to this track that was given to Waterloo Sunset, I think the song would be regarded as one of Ray's greatest ballads. And I'm sure with some fans it is regarded in that way. Um, but I think it could be better.
I'm not saying I could do it better. I think they could have done it better. Uh, thank you for checking this out on YouTube. If you are watching it uh, on there, if you haven't swung over there, go to YouTube. It's uh, youtube.com slash C slash hero habit. And you can watch all of our um, new episodes. And I'm also updating the back catalog to go up there. Um, even though they're audio only, they're still going up there. And uh, uh, so please subscribe to the YouTube channel. And I'm condensing our social media presence. We're doing away with a separate Facebook group and a separate Twitter account. It's all going to be done right on Hero Habit's site. So if you'd like to talk to other Kinks fans and other Beatles fans, um, swing to herohabit.com and hit the community button and you will be able to chat with us. And this is a brand new feature. Um, as, as of right now, I think there's only two people in the group. So come and be one of the first. All right. And then again, I am sorry for um, there's been a delay in podcasts, but like a uh, gentleman once said, life is what happens to you when you're busy making other plans. And life came at us quick over the last month. So um, we're back now, though, and um, I hope you'll stick around and I will talk to you all tomorrow. Have a great day. Um, oh, I almost forgot. Make sure if you'd like to get a hold of me, you can call me at 925-494-1739. I will play those voicemails on the uh, podcast when it's appropriate to the song. Or you can email me kinksandbeats at herohabit.com. All right, with that, I am outski. Have a great day. Stay safe.